Blog Talk Radio. I'm your host, Lori LeBay, founder of Alzheimer's Speaks resource website and blog, and my passion is to educate the world about Alzheimer's disease and memory loss, and that came about from a 30-year journey with my mother's memory loss, which is still going on. She's now in her end stages. For those of you that are new to our show, I want to give you a brief introduction to our channel here. Our goal is to give voice to those afflicted with memory loss and empower them to live purpose-filled lives. We want to raise awareness, give hope, and share the real, everyday life stories of living with Alzheimer's disease. Our channel expert, Rick Phelps, is unable to make it with us today at this point, but if, if by chance he's able to hook up to us, I will definitely uh, let him chime in because Rick always has some great information for us. And our musical advocate, singer-songwriter, JP, will be with us in spirit as we use his opening and closing song for our show Think ahead, go ahead. Um, so if you are listening at this point, um, we, are, we have two great guests on our show today. Um, one is Benjamin Pierce, and we're going to call him Ben. And he is the CEO of Potomac Homes in New Jersey. He's the author of Senior Living Communities, Operations Management, and Marketing for Assisted um, Communities. And on Facebook, I kind of checked out their site there, and so I would encourage you to go check out Potomac Homes, that's P-O-T-O-M-A-C, Homes, because they are the pioneer of residential living for those with Alzheimer's and other dementia-related illnesses. For more than a decade, they have made it possible for those living with Alzheimer's disease to enjoy the benefits of full-time professional care in a familiar home-like setting. As a single-family, independent resident, it's established in a neighborhood you know, with community. And Potomac offers a lifestyle which promotes dignity and sensitivity to enhance each resident's quality of life. Their mission is to provide exceptional care for early to late-stage dementia residents by creating a warm and close community atmosphere. So I would um, just, I, I'm so excited for Ben to be here today. Ben, are you with us there on, on the radio? Yeah, hi, Lori. Hi, how are you doing? Now, I, I see that you are an expert in assisted living um, industry for dementia-related care, and it looks like you have three decades of experience just about in working with 120 different communities in the field. That's just absolutely amazing. And then it looks like yeah. you also teach. I do, yes. Um, yeah, I have uh, personally been involved with or opened over 120 facilities in 23 states. And uh, and I've uh, published six books. And uh, my latest book, uh, the one you quoted, Senior Living Communities, has also been converted to an online uh, classroom. And it's used for the certification of assisted living administrators in uh, currently in Colorado, Oregon, and soon to be California and Texas. 
also have a website called uh, PotomacGroupHomes.com where um, people can go and see what our homes look like. And they're very, very different. And, uh, yes, and I also teach at Johns Hopkins and at NYU. Wonderful. Well, we are very excited to uh, have you with us and to share your expertise with us. If you can tell us a little bit um, about your personal connection, if there is one to Alzheimer's disease, do you have or have you ever had a family member or friend, you know, with the disease? You know, what got you interested in going down this road? Well, I mean, years ago, I uh, got into the assisted living business because I really like old people, and I found that it was really my calling to be around them. And, you know, they say that there's no greater classroom than than seated at the feet of an elderly person. Um, There's been no one in my uh, direct family that has Alzheimer's disease, but, um, you know, I... Uh, being in this business as long as I have, you know, I've learned a lot, and I'm still learning every day. And I've tried to put into writing the things that I've learned so that other people can can benefit from it. And someone once said, well, Ben, how come you're giving out all of your secrets? And and I said, well, if I can influence people uh, out there beyond my own small sphere of influence, you know, I can help uh, make people's lives better, people that may be in senior living communities or or even caregivers taking care of their parents at home. Well, and I, I love just that that statement of, you know, why are you giving away your secrets? Because I'm a firm believer there should be no secrets because right. we don't we don't own anything. And once we gain knowledge, it does nothing if we don't share it with others because that's the way we improve life. And right. My mission so- in life is to help people with, um, you know, with their aging concerns and help um, families. I mean, there's no class that you can go to and learn about how to take care of your parents. And there's really no, you know, there's classes you can go to to learn how to raise your kids, but, you know, there isn't anything that teaches you how to be an elder care provider. And people are often thrust into their elder care providing responsibilities at a moment's notice because of some catastrophic health failure that's happened when they're in their family and uh you know it's they're they're not prepared for it and so you know my goal is to to be an educator i do a lot of uh, public speaking by the way i go out to uh, senior centers assisted living centers um nursing homes and alzheimer support groups to uh, talk about caregiver stress and burnout and uh, uh, falls and fractures and liabilities of home companions. And I have, uh, I have about 20 different uh, presentations uh, that I do. In fact, anyone is interested in learning about any of that stuff, all those presentations are on my personal website called planetbenja.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-B-E-N-J-A.com. And uh, under the presentations tab, and you can just click on any one of those, and it'll open up a handout materials for uh, for my presentation. Wonderful. But, yeah. yeah, my you goal know- is to to help uh, eliminate the dis- the decision making paradigm of misinformation that's out there. Great. One of your topics that I, I found really interesting was depression and malnutrition in the elderly, because I I really think that's under discussed. Um, and talked about because that could just throw people for such a loop. Yeah, there was a study that was done by the Rand Institute um, some years ago which compared depressed versus non-depressed elderly. And uh, what it found was the depressed elderly used in their lifetime six times more money spent on health care 
than their non-depressed counterparts, and they were typically on four times the number of prescription drugs than their non-depressed counterparts. So, you know, in my opinion, having been done this as long as I have, depression can lead to catastrophic health failure. And, you know, the, the, the combination of depression, dehydration, and malnutrition, those three things are the single three biggest things that affect people's quality of life. Agree. Can you can you get into a little bit of you know why your services are so different? Okay. Um, yeah. Uh, well, most people with uh, dementia, whether it's Alzheimer's related dementia or dementia from another uh, another uh, another source, have a different sense of what reality is. Um, but it's very real to them. And typically what happens is uh, the people who are immediately around them try to convince them that they're wrong about things or they can't go here, they can't drive anymore, they can't do this, they can't do that. And and it, it's almost like, um, Lori, if somebody went to you and said, uh, the sky is green and you believe with every fiber of your being that the sky is blue and and how does that make you feel? You know, it makes you feel upset, annoyed. You know, this person is ridiculous. It makes you feel uh, like you want to reject uh, other people's notions. And that's what happens with people with uh, with Alzheimer's. And they have their own sense of reality. So what happens typically, in, especially in, uh, in, in the community and, and also in large assisted living facilities, is people will tend to give them a drug to to convince them that uh, that you know to, to bring them back to the, their their own reality. So they'll give them an anti-anxiety medication or some other benzodiazepine, you know, like uh, Ativan or Risperdal or Depakote, Seroquel, any of those kind of drugs. Seroquel actually is not recommended for people with uh, Alzheimer's disease, and so they give them this drug, and it makes them feel a little rummy. And also, the big side effect to that, to, to those benzodiazepines, is, is they cause people to fall. So they Im- impact the individual's gait and balance and makes them much more uh, susceptible to falling. So, you know, here you are with someone that believes something to be, to be true, and you want to disagree with them, and then if they give you... Um, you know, a behavior problem because you're disagreeing with them, which is just normal human nature, then you give them a pill. You know, that's not what we're all about. We're all about validation. If someone, you know, gets up at 2 o'clock in the morning and thinks it's time for breakfast, well, it's as far as we're concerned, it's breakfast time. We'll fix some breakfast at 2 o'clock in the morning. We can do that. We're only 16 residents in each of our homes. Our homes are very much like a bed and breakfast type of environment for people with Alzheimer's. Only we provide bed and breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And so um, I had a guy one time in one of my communities, he had gotten into his head that he had lost his keys. And it was, you know, for men, I don't know, to me, eyeglasses, watch, wallet, and keys. These are the four essential items that that we have (laughs) as men. But he had lost, uh, got into his head that he lost his keys, and so the the facility called called uh, his wife at home, and she said, and they said, well, do you have his keys? And she says, no, he doesn't need keys. I don't want him having keys. But for him, it was keys, 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 keys. Where's my keys? I need my keys. You know, every every second word out of his mouth was keys. 
And so they called me and they said, well, well Ben, well, what should we do? And I said, well, we're going to give them some keys. And and they said, well, the, the, the family doesn't want to give him his keys. And I said, well, let's get his key ring. So I called up his wife and I said, you know, do you have a key, his key ring? She goes, no, I got rid of that. And I said, well, can you describe it to me? And she says, yes, it was a key ring and it had a little wrench on it. And so I went down to the hardware store and I bought a key ring with a wrench. And I don't know about you, but I got drawers of keys around here. That <laughs> I don't know where they go. So I put a bunch of those keys on there, and I went over the, to the to the home, and I threw them under his bed. And I went and got him, and I said, Mr. Miller, let's go see if we can find your keys one more time. And I took him in there, and we got down on our hands and knees, and I shone the flashlight under his bed. And I said, hey, are those your keys? And he goes, those are my keys, you know. And I could just see the stress drain out of his face. So, you know, often... Dealing with people with Alzheimer's is validating what they want and giving it to them. And our rule is, our mantra around here is, if it doesn't hurt them, it doesn't hurt someone else, let them have what they want. And so we spend more time validating them and giving them what they want and less time medicating them. That puts them at risk for falls. I love that. That's so in tune with with my philosophy because it... it seems for so many of us caregivers, we want them to fit in our box. We want them to make us feel comfortable. And I have a tool called Your Memory Chip that gets people to focus on three things. Are they safe? Are they happy? Are they pain-free? Because everything else is irrelevant. It's because right. it's, all, it's all about creating joy, keeping them calm and comfortable because they don't have the tools and the ability to make the adjustments that we can and so I love that. I, I know there are some out there that would say, well, you know, that's deceitful. And it's, you know, in my mind, it's not because it's truly about giving care to their soul and the heart of the person before you and, and knowing what's important to them, not caring if it's right or wrong, but just you knowing You know, sometimes how- it's simply just about problem solving uh, and recognizing what someone's problem is and then coming up with a creative way to solve it. We had this one lady one time that she she was incontinent and she needed to be bathed regularly. And so, but she had deathly fear of water. But she liked music and she liked to eat. And so what we would do is we'd bring her into the bathroom, we'd turn her music on really loud, we had a little boom box there, and uh, we'd bring her tray in and uh, we'd set her tray across the tub set her in the tub, and slowly fill up the water behind her so she was facing away from the faucet. And uh, and we bathed her that way three, four times a week for three years. Um, but that's what worked for her. And, you know, I think sometimes the more creative you can be to look for solutions to people's problem, the easier your caregiving can become. You know, people with Alzheimer's disease, they equate freedom with quality of life the more freedom they have in self-determination and do whatever they want whenever they want the higher perceived quality of life is and you know i think the time is done for people to um, chemically restrain someone back into reality and you know we with a little bit of creativity and a little bit of inventiveness we can find ways to give people what they want and still keep them safe oh agree agree i i love what you did with the with the bathing my mom 
you know, went through a phase where she, she loved water. All her life was a lifeguard. And, and then all of a sudden she didn't like taking a bath and she didn't like taking a shower. And it was just this big battle. And one of the things that we found out was that, um, and I and I never I didn't know this because my mom was a big woman, but I went and saw Tipa Snow speak one time, and I don't know if you're familiar with Tipa. Have you ever seen her speak? Sure. Uh huh. She is absolutely amazing. But she was talking about how as we age, we lose our fat pads, and so that the the pressure from the shower was probably hurting my mother because her nerves. Right. You know, we're more to the surface and stuff. So right. at the nursing home my mom is in, we ended up changing out all the shower heads to rain shower heads. And then we, we ended up doing a kind of a spa bathroom where we changed the color and the light and we pumped in the music and we now have aromatherapy. And, you know, the administrator said, what else would you like? And I said, heated floors and heated tall bars and then staff that know how to sing. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then we'll be good to go. <laughs> And, but it, but it's amazing the difference. Well, and you can also set a, set your mom into a padded shower chair, which distributes mm-hmm. the rate uh, the her weight in a circular fashion around around her bottom, rather than having her sit hard on a surface. Yeah, which is and, and they do have that there as well. But it was just the uh, for her it was you know actually at this point she was standing up and it was the the water hitting her. But there's so many different things that we have to look for in terms of what are the triggers because they don't go. I mean they're no different than the rest of us. They don't go off for no reason. There's a reason behind right. it. You know uh, when we when we get upset we we think we have a reason. You know when we're young our parents might not agree with us. <laughs> that our reason is valid or it's appropriate, but we still have to deal with the situation. So I think that is, those are wonderful stories that you're sharing that really show the difference and the impact that it, it that it can have. Now, um, when a family approaches, you know, you to maybe place somebody, how is, how is that handled and, and how are they um, instructed to kind of work and, and learn about the disease and, and work with you as a as a company to provide well, good let, care. Let uh, let me let me share one other uh, quick story with you that okay. is really um, answers that question. Um, uh, maybe four or five years ago, I had um, a daughter and a mother come to me, and they said that you know uh, my husband is. Uh, you know, recently lost his job. He worked for a, a major uh, manufacturing company. He was the uh, director of human resources uh, for that company, and and uh, he was forced to retire because of his dementia. And then, about six months later, he uh, lost his ability to drive. He had a couple accidents, and uh, and it just his family determined it wasn't safe living alone. And uh, then. You know, a lot of his friends stopped visiting him because he became uh, very reclusive and he didn't want to see them. And and uh, and consequently, uh, his behavior started getting worse and worse and worse to the point where he's becoming almost violent uh, with the with the people who are close to him, which was his daughter and his and his wife. And so they came to me and she said, they said, "Do you think it's time to place my father or, or my uh, husband in your home?" And I said, well, what kind of things does he have that he can hang his hat on? You know, here you've stripped him of his, uh, the disease has stripped him of his uh, um, his career, 
uh, people who looked up to him. He had an important position, his ability to drive, a lot of his independence. You know, what things is he still doing? What does he do all day? And they, she, they said, well, he sits in front of the TV and watches TV all day, and he grumbles and grouches about things. And I said, well, maybe the answer, instead of having him come to one of our homes at this time, because he was still fairly high-functioning, maybe the answer is we get him something to do. And they said, well, what do you suggest? And I said, well, you know, often uh, people uh, that are early stage in the disease can be a docent at a museum. They can uh, participate in some volunteer program, such as a retired senior volunteer program. Um, I said, but this case, I have, I have an idea. And my idea stemmed from, I've been uh, involved in the Boy Scouts for 24 years. Uh, as a leader, I'm the district chairman uh, right now up here in the Hudson Valley. And um, what we decided to do is uh, I went over and I sat with them and I said, look, I said, there are a lot of boys who are from 11 to 18 years old who could really benefit from your years of experience. And he said, how so? And I said, well, we have all these merit badges like citizenship in the community, communication, personal management, family life, and these are all EGLE-required badges. And there's 12 EGLE-required badges of the 21 badges that it's required for you to, to earn your EGLE Scout Award. Well, there's a lot of families who will drop their son off at, uh, in scouting, but don't, then they don't stay. And so we're constantly looking for people who can teach these merit badge classes. And he said, what's involved? I said, this organization is the most well-organized you know, group uh, that you've ever seen. And they have merit badge books that teach, that have exactly in there what you need to teach. And so you just have to go for you know, an hour and a half or two hours once a week uh, to this Boy Scout meeting. The boys will sign up and they'll participate. And this guy poured himself into that. He had created flip charts, and he had visual aids, and he was very excited about it. The boys never knew the guy had dementia, and they absolutely adored him. And guess what? No more behavior problems, no more grumpiness, no more irritability. The, the man had some purpose, and he was positively influencing the lives of these young scouts and treating himself to a better quality of life through his volunteerism. And so when families come to us, it's not always about, well, it's time to move to a Potomac home. They come to us with problems, and it's our job to help them find solutions to their problems. And if one of the solutions may be uh, moving into our homes, then so be it. But this guy was able to participate and be a merit badge counselor for two and a half years after wow. we got him started in this program until he got to the point where he just couldn't do it anymore. And guess what? He ultimately became one of our residents. And uh, so I, I think it's about caring for people, looking for creative ways to find solutions to problems and not just selling someone a unit somewhere. I love that. I love how you are so focused on purpose because we all, I mean, that feeds our souls. You know, that, that makes us want to get up in the morning. That makes us want to be creative and connect. And, you know, even with my mom at her very end stages where, you know, I'm lucky if she says three words all day. You know, I'm thrilled to death if I get eye contact from her. She still is in there and she still has purpose, you know. And, yeah. it, and, and just because someone has gotten to the point where they can't communicate,
communicate as well does not mean that stuff isn't going in there. You know, and uh, you know, we've developed an activity program called ICANN, and we we marry up the technology of the, the Macintosh computer with resources on the internet, and uh, we have um, like 18 different activities that go on every day, and and some change every day, some change every uh, every week, some change every month, etc. But we have one activity that is um, kind of a question answer thing called. Uh, finish the phrase and we have finished the food phrase we have finished the phrase Americana we have finished the phrase fashion but basically we put up a slide it covers the whole screen which is a 56 inch uh, TV screen and it says uh, it's like comparing apples and blank and there'll be a picture of apples and oranges so what I'm trying to do is tap into people's long-term memory and um, and show which most people remain intact well into the disease and someone could be look sitting in a chair and they look like they're half asleep and they'll hear apples and and they'll open their eyes and they'll say oranges and then they go back to sleep again uh-huh. <laughs> so you never know what's getting through to them and so i think a common mistake that's made by people in this business is they assume that this individual is is not getting anything out of the activities because they're not directly responding. But, you know, we may be getting through to them a lot more than we think. And so I want to err on the side of overstimulating people rather than leaving them understimulating. It's, you know, it's just like someone who uh, gets herded down into a big dining room and assisted living facility and they have 30 minutes or 40 minutes to eat. And by the time the food is placed in front of the individual, they look at it and they think, and they start eating it. And, oh, geez, time to, time to finish. And the, the, the meal service is over. We've got to bring another set of residents in here. And then they document in the chart that the person wasn't hungry. Well, you know, it's not that they weren't hungry, but this person has Alzheimer's and it takes them 50 minutes to eat a plate of food. And, you know, things, decisions like that that are made uh, can really impact the quality of someone's life uh, and leave someone, in that case, malnourished. So I think it's really important that we overestimate what people are capable of doing and responding to rather than underestimating it. Well, and I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, and I think it's all about us training ourselves to look for different things. You know, we've gotten so used to our nonverbal communication, we we don't even notice that it exists, and right. we need to tap into those things. You know, I, I have a story when I did um, a music therapy session with my mother, and I was so, in fact, I have this, it's, this picture is, is uh, taped up on my desk here, and it's my mom, the music therapist, and myself. And my mom just had a riot. I hired this woman for an hour, but she was, my mom could only last for half an hour, but we videotaped it. I met with a friend of my mother's who hasn't seen my mom in 10 years, but we get together every couple of months. I slide the DVD over to her in the restaurant, and Kay just screams out, oh, my God, she looks so horrible. And and I just, I burst out laughing, and I get these seething eyes looking at me like, Lori, this isn't funny. And I said, Kay, I'm so sorry, and I didn't even know until just this moment. I don't see what you see anymore. I've trained myself to look at different things. You know, I look for the dimples. I look for the smile. I listen for the giggle. I look for the glint in the eye. And and 
the same thing happens when someone's upset. You know, what's triggering them? What are those nonverbals that they're getting, you know, to us? Because it's, I relate, um, as this disease progresses, it's kind of like a stroke victim. And everybody takes for granted and understands somebody with a stroke can pretty much hear everything that's going on or someone who's in a, in a coma can, you know, take everything in. But we don't, we don't seem to connect the dots when it comes to somebody with memory loss. We just think they right. don't get it. But it's so true. And, you know, it's those rare moments where they just can pop out of their shell, even in very end stages, um, that are just so incredible. I, I had one time where my mom... Um, said my name and I she hadn't said my name in two to three years mm. and I just sat and I bawled and rubbed her belly and and you know sat on her bed and she went back to sleep but that was just so incredibly important to me because right. for so long you're questioning does she know me and, I, and I've gotten past that because it's I know now it's not about me it's about her comfort and a relationship is much deeper than a name but as caregivers, we get so locked into our feelings and our egos. And so I think it's just wonderful how honest and how resourceful you guys are um, with your philosophies and helping people see things in a different light that is so greatly, greatly needed. I just, um, I think it's wonderful. I also just popped out onto your website where you have the presentations um, and and that's just incredible. You just have everything there. You have it's just loaded with information. And yeah, you can click on any one of those titles, and the whole presentation pops up. That is um, just not heard of people sharing to that extent. So that is absolutely fabulous. And for people who want to learn more, again, that's www planet and then benja b e n j a dot com. And it's just loaded with information, along with um, their their website for the homes, which we'll we'll give out a, a little bit later here. Um, in terms of, do you have a, a favorite story of maybe? I mean, I know we're not supposed to have a favorite resident, but someone who's really changed um, your insight and and how you deal with this disease. You know, in all the years that you've been been working with this population, is there one one resident or, um, or client that comes to mind that was just extraordinarily special to you? There, there is actually, um, and anyone that doesn't have a story like this, you know, they shouldn't even be in the business. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, we're all here to make an impact on people's lives. But this one individual, she didn't have Alzheimer's, but she, she made a big impact on my life. She was um, living in a nursing home out in Long Beach, Washington, uh, in Washington State. And her name was Evelyn. And for many years, she was the executive secretary for the CEO of Bank America. And so she was a very, very bright woman, and she contracted... Uh, um, contracted uh, uh, rheumatoid arthritis really bad. And uh, she became, um, you know, 
a little distraught with this, and she didn't really have anyone to talk to every time. I was a VP of operations for the nursing home at the time, and every time I would go there, I would sit and uh, visit with her, and we became very close, and uh, I really enjoyed talking to her. And and uh, she uh, ultimately uh, taught me that you know, you always have to look on the bright side of everything. You know, always look on the bright side of life. You know how they how they say that. But there's always, you know, when God closes a door somewhere, He opens a window, and uh, that's that's very true. And and one thing that she did that that was amazing to me is she had a beautiful voice, and she was very articulate. And uh, I went down to the um, to the local school district. And I said, you know, first at the elementary school and then at the junior high, and I said, do you have any interest in someone who who would read your textbooks or read your school books into a tape recorder for those kids that were developmentally disabled and have trouble reading? And they said, sure. And so I went and bought a, a good quality tape recorder, and I got a bunch of books, and I took it down there. And she sat in her room all day, every day, reading books into this tape recorder and she became very good at it and she says there see there you go ben now i'm influencing the lives of people who would never even come here to meet me never would come here to visit me and i'm still useful and i'm still making it happen in my life and i gotta tell you you know in spite of every challenge that she had physically you know she just glowed she just glowed as a human being you know and uh you know, I always remember her, and um, it uh, as someone who really influenced my life in a positive way. That is so so interesting that she could see and feel the big picture. She didn't need that personal pat on the back. She just knew what was right. And, yeah, and um, in spite of the challenges that she had, she resisted the temptation to um, retreat into her own sense of depression. You know, or her own uh, um, inabilities. So instead of focusing on the negative, she focused on the positive. My dad always used to say, "Get rid of that stinking thinking. Stinking thinking <laughs> is the worst thing for you." Yep, ain't that the truth? Ain't that the truth? So, Ben, can you tell us how many homes you have and where they're located? And yeah, we have twelve homes, and they're located in northern New Jersey. Each home looks very much like a bed and breakfast. And it has the feel of a bed and breakfast. Each resident has their own private apartment, and uh, they come fully furnished. And we have uh, three meals and three snacks every day. We have activities that go along out throughout the entire day. And many of our activities are actually cued using old-time videos, like the like for example. Uh, we have stretches and walks. We we get people up and we walk them every two hours. And every time we walk them, we put on uh, either the Andrew Sisters or Chattanooga Choo Choo or uh, or uh, some of those old time videos that you can find on on YouTube. And uh, it what it does is it gets them up and motivated prior to the activity. We have another activity where we have a big parachute, and everybody grabs a handle of the parachute, and we put a ball in the middle, and we try to flip the ball out. And we play up, up, and away with my beautiful balloon before we play do that activity, and so they can see big pictures of uh, like a balloon fest and listen to that old uh, I think it's Mamas and Papas or the um, 
who who sang that song? Uh, and away. The, well, I'm like, not sure, but but anyway, you know, um, setting those but, patterns are so important. Um, yeah. yeah. And so we we have twelve different homes and. And uh, we have some homes that are higher functioning, some homes that are lower functioning, so that we can cater to like-minded individuals. Okay. Now, you said that they're all furnished. If somebody wanted to bring in their own furnishings, is that possible? Or can of they... course, yeah. Okay. And often they do. They'll bring in their own bed or their own uh, dresser or uh, or like a favorite writing desk or something like that. Uh, but. Yeah, we, we we just try to make it as easy as possible for families to come. And we, we have a long-term stay. We have respite stay. We, each, each, uh, we also have daycare. And sometimes when someone is really early functioning and the families are really concerned about, well, how am I possibly going to get my father to move into one of these places, we just tell them that, you know, he's coming for um, to run the activities. He's coming to mm-hmm. volunteer. And I think because part of what people fear is the unknown. And if you've never been into one of these places, you don't know the people, you don't know the staff, you know, it's kind of scary. But if you come in and call bingo or run one of the activities or do sitter sides with the residents or help people with uh, um, uh, sing-along or music bingo or jingo or any of those other activities that we do all the time, um, then it makes you feel like you're more of a contributor rather than um, a, a patient. Well, that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense. I, I like that. Um, gosh, it's just such a wonderful concept. Have you considered expanding outside New Jersey at all? Or, um, you know, we've thought about it, but you know, from my perspective, I want this company to be a small or as large as it takes me to learn everybody's name. You know, when the company, this is a great concept, and I'm sure other people will want to build something similar to this, but when you get too big, then you you, you just lose, you lose control of the quality. And right now, you know, my nurse's aides, my average nurse's aide has been with me for eight years. My managers, some of them have been with me for 15 years. And we just have very little turnover, and it's hard to get a job at Potomac Homes, and mostly the jobs go to um, relatives of uh, of existing staff who, you know, like cousins and and uh, nieces and whatnot that want to come to work in this environment. So, you know, while other people are struggling with trying to fill spots, you know, we have a waiting list of employees that want to come to work for us. Um, which is a nice position to be in because then you can choose from the, the highest quality people. And people that stay with you for eight years as a nurse's aide, you know, they get raises every year and they get to the point where there's, there's you kind of have them hostage after a while because there's no place <laughs> they can go that they're going to make as much as I'm paying them. So, Well, and that is just such a huge compliment because so many communities just struggle with turnover. So when when you've got people who like their jobs and see the value and and feel valued as an employee, Um, you know, that just ripples off to their work. And and that's just like kudos to you because we don't see that too often out there. And a lot of those employees, you know, they, these people are professionals. I mean, a nurse's aide doing that job every, every day, they see themselves as, as, as equally professional as an RN or an LPN or administrator. 
and and as do I. You know, I've never really understood why they call them nurses' aides because the aides are the ones that do all the work, and the nurses are the ones that are aiding them. <laughs> but uh, but uh, our nurses' aides are as much every bit of professional as you or I or anyone else in this, and we treat them like that, and we uh, we ask them their opinion. Most of the time, problems can be solved by asking the opinion of the nurses' aides who are the closest to the problem. And when our nurses' aides only, we have a one-to-four staffing ratio in our homes, and uh, so our nurses' aides really prefer this kind of an environment because they're not trying to take care of 20 people or 16 people. And with taking care of four people, they can give the care, the type of care that they want to as a professional. Oh, that's great. That's, uh, the ratios are are so important, but the level of care and just the education and the company philosophy, there's you know, a lot of companies that will spend a year on their mission statement and you know, they've tweaked it and tweaked it till they think it's just perfect and then they push it out to staff and then staff don't even know that it exists or what or they what or they can't read it in English. You yeah. Know, um, I, you know, some people have, you know, don't have as great English skills as others. Doesn't mean they're they're any, you know, less intelligent. They just don't have that command. And so anything that we do, uh whether people speak English or not, we put it out in English and Spanish. That's oh, that's wonderful. That's great. I I also think that, you know, with any type of mission statement, you have to you know, administrative staff really have to live and breathe it and be an example of it, you know, for the staff to really get it. Um, and then to also give them the authority to be able to make some corrections and and give input in terms of change, which it sounds like you do a really nice job of because they are the ones that see what's going on and so they're going to be able to figure out the options much faster because they see the big picture they live it they breathe it so very very neat do you have um anything that uh, you want to share as far as um and i'm sure you've got a zillion of these um from your services but just i would like you to share with our audience maybe some comments that family um, and or maybe some of your clients have made to you about your services. You know what? What really kind well, of well the best the best comment that I ever had, and you can't ask for a better comment than this is uh, one of my uh, family members said that you know she tried with her father in many different environments and he never was happy and she was never happy and the staff you know seemed overworked but when she brought brought him to a Potomac Homes. Potomac home she said your employees took care of my dad as if it was their dad and and I thought about that for a a minute and I thought you know if you can create an environment where your staff are providing care as if it was for their own family then you win and and that's that's what success looks like yeah everybody wins in that scenario Everybody. Yeah, uh, yeah, and so I think a lot of times, uh, uh, and that's one of the reasons why I wrote my book, because a lot of times people don't know what excellence looks like. And most people that come to work in a company, they want to do a good job, but they're not sure exactly what a good job looks like. And so 
writing this book has enabled me to paint a vivid picture of what excellence looks like. And, you know, I may not be the world's best expert on this, and I'm learning more every day, but I'm going to tell people what I do know uh, that works. And, um, you know, the more vivid the picture, you know, the clearer the the goal, the you know, the closer the result. And um, and I think that the better job you can do at defining, what, you know, what it is you want people to do and tell them how to do it specifically, the better you equip them to deliver it to you. Can you share with us again the name of the book? It's called Senior Living Communities, uh, and it's available on Amazon.com. Or you can just go to Amazon and type in Benjamin Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E, and uh, and uh, it'll bring a link up to it. Now, with this book, who is the target audience? Is it families or professionals or both? You know, it's funny because when I first wrote it, I wanted to write a complete guidebook for uh, assisted living administrators and their staff. And in the back, it has uh, it has what's called a key KRA, which is a key result area, which is um, a checklist of how to operate each department so that you could print it out and give it to the chef or your housekeeper or your marketing people. And uh, it defines what excellence looks like. There's the standards for operating a kitchen or standards for operating a housekeeping department or a laundry department. And so a lot of times I think people get really caught up with um, solving whatever today's crisis is. And they don't do any planning in advance until some crisis dictates what they're going to do today. Well, what I set out to do is create excellent standards and so that if you follow those things then and put all those things in place, then you'll have more time to spend with residents and more time to spend with their families because you're not having crises that come up all the time that are going to dictate your schedule for the day. And so... Um, that's the whole point behind behind creating this this book, so that it, it would it'd free people up to spend more time where it's really important, holding people's hands and comforting you know people with problems. Wonderful. Well, you just are loaded with information. Do you have any? Um, I know this wasn't on my little cheat sheet for questions, but do you have any presentations coming up for the public at large or for um, companies? Uh, generally, I uh, publish all my presentations on the Potomac Homes Facebook, and uh, so if there's uh, and I do about one a week. Uh, last year, I think I did sixty of them, um, and uh, I just did one last week. Interestingly enough, at, at, a, at a, uh, there's a, a senior information storefront inside a mall here in uh, in Hackensack uh, called Senior Source. And uh, I did a presentation in there on caregiver stress and burnout and uh, uh, just to give people some ideas on how to combat caregiver stress and burnout. And actually that that whole presentation is on my uh, on my website if, if anyone is interested in, in reading through it. But um, yeah, most of the presentations that I do I, uh, I do a uh, that are that the public are invited to, which is most of them, uh, I do an announcement on the Facebook page. Wonderful. Do you have any words of wisdom for someone who is maybe worried about their memory right now and they haven't been diagnosed? You know, I have. I have a. I do. Um, 
One thing that I've learned is the more you learn about something, the more power you have. And what I've found is that families who sit down with a planner, like a geriatric care manager, and you can go to the internet and, and just Google geriatric care managers and it'll take you to the Geriatric Care Management Association website. And then you can just type in your, um, your zip code and it'll give you names of geriatric care managers in your area. These people, what they can do is they can sit down with the family and while the individual is still relatively cognitively alert, and they can make agreements with that person on, you know, when is it time to, to stop driving? When is it time to look for home health care? When is it time to consider, you know, placement in, uh, in an Alzheimer's facility? Um, uh, and then they can bring resources and professionals in reverse mortgages, professionals in long-term care insurance, um, professionals such as myself, and we can create a team approach to solving families' problems. You don't want to wait, and a lot of times you can get one of these plans put together for a few hundred dollars. You don't want to wait until um, you're forced to do someone something because your dad's had an accident and uh, or he's uh, become behaviorally uh, problematic in order to try to convince him, okay, it's now it's time to do this, or now it's time to see an elder law attorney, or now it's time to, to talk about guardianship. You know, you want to get all those decisions made and on paper so you can refer them back to it as the disease progresses. And uh, the, the more that you can document the person's wishes in advance for all these services, not just end-of-life services, but services you know, that they may need to take advantage of to, you know, continue to support their lifestyle. The better job you can do of documenting those in advance, the less conflict you have later. Well, and the more control they're going to they're gonna have, they're going to feel a piece of their, you know, that they're still active exactly. in the decision-making, which is absolutely huge to people. I, I love huge. I love that suggestion. I, you know, and even looking into, you know, long-term care insurance if they haven't been diagnosed yet. Um, right. You know, it's something in, in powers of attorneys. You know, I, I'm a big believer that as soon as our kids, you know, graduate from high school, we should have powers of attorney lined up, but nobody talks about that. Mm-hmm. And instead, we look at all this stuff as end-of-life issues, and it's just good business. It's smart living. And That's smart living, you're right. Yeah. So how about um for families? Any 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 guidance or wise words for them? I I mean I'm sure it falls under the same same thing, but is there any anything that you want to share specific to a caregiver and, and maybe their struggles with with loss? Yeah. Because that's what I, most I, focus on. Yeah. I, I think it's really important to define um what's reasonable and what is not reasonable you know what would a reasonable person do in certain when certain things happen and what is is not reasonable um for example is it reasonable for you to get up from your garden club and go uh secure a screen door that's flapping at your mom's home uh and give up the personal time you have with your girlfriends no is it 
is it reasonable to go to your mother in an emergency when she's run out of medication? Yes, that's an emergency. So defining what an emergency is and what an emergency is not, I think, is crucial to enable a caregiver to to be able to have some kind of balance in their life and protect some of their personal time. You're not going to be able to be any good to anyone uh, if your health fails or if if you come crashing down. So uh, family members who are providing care, I think it's really important that you protect yourself um, because you're going to need your own health now more than ever. And secondly, um, there's there's really two different kinds of guilt. There's guilt that makes us, uh, that is warranted and makes us work harder and do better. And there's also guilt that's unwarranted. And I think um, that is placed upon us by ourselves or by others. And I think that when people feel that there's, um, they're guilty about things, they should sit down and make a list of all the things that they feel guilty of. And then uh, look at that list and, and decide, okay, which of these things do I have control over and which things I do not have control over? There is no point in feeling guilty over things you have no control over. And guess what? There's a lot of things that you think you have control over that you really don't. So don't be hard on yourself and don't feel guilty over things that you have no influence to change. I think that would be the biggest signal suggestion I would have to family members. Oh, and that control is so important. As a caregiver myself, I um, I was a control freak, you know, and I used to live my life by a checklist. I mean, I actually had a clipboard I'd get up with every morning and everything that I had to do as a wife and a mother and taking care of my parents and working full time and volunteering and extra kids living in the house. And I mean, the list went on. And so my checklist drove me. And what I realized was that my checklist really interfered with my relationships because I, it made me feel in control and that I was doing the right things, but it was it was harming my relationships because I was just doing tasks. Right. Right. And, and, and I wasn't delivering them in the way that I would have if I stepped back. So once I stepped back and said, you know what, the tasks aren't nearly as important as the relationship at hand. And, right. you know, a, a lot of times, too, with, families, I know people will say, well, my siblings won't help out, you know, and I, I'm stuck with it all. And I, I would imagine you hear that a lot, too. Yeah, it's yeah. Pretty, pretty common out there. And really accepting that everybody has their own space and can deal with this. And instead of trying to change them, you're not going to change them either any more than you're going to change somebody who has, has memory loss. And so yeah. just sitting back and accepting it is what it is, and you need to do what is right for you, and then making sure that you have balance in your life. So I'd, I'd like to be able to have you explain to people, because I don't think they understand what respite is and how important and valuable that can be to family members, if you wouldn't mind. Uh, sure. Respite care is um, short-term, uh, a short-term care environment where you can drop someone off um, and they can stay in an assisted living facility or Alzheimer's community for uh, 
for a week or up to even as much as a month. Now, there are certain county uh, area agency on agents, a- agings that, uh, that provide uh, a short-term respite help for people who don't have the financial resources. Uh, in this state, they have up to 21 days uh, for people who qualify to uh, provide respite care service in one of my homes. And uh, so the state recognizes that, you know, caregivers burn out, and then it becomes, and they become debilitated, then, then the, it's going to become the responsibility of the state to take care of these people. And so uh, they have this program that, uh, that for, you know, people of limited means can drop people off for, uh, for short periods of time. The Alzheimer's Association also, I believe, has up to $1,000 a year that is not dependent on income that uh, you can apply for that can be used to, you know, to provide short-term care. And, you know, I think it's really important that people take advantage of that because caregivers need a break. And, uh, you know, you don't want to get to the point where where you are, you know, completely burned out because there's, uh, there's you know, there's nothing, nothing you can do to, to, to get away from it. And, you know, and another a little bit of advice I would like to offer family members is pick your battles. Focus, you know, don't fight with your uh, care receiver about everything. If they want to wear their pajamas during the day and they, or they want to go outside wearing their pajamas and slippers and it doesn't hurt them, it's not cold outside, let them do it. You know, focus your attention on... Uh, choosing issues that concern critical health and safety, and try not and try to present choices to people um, to your to your care care receivers rather than ultimatums. And uh, you know, one last thing is postpone your confrontations. Uh, sometimes issues resolve themselves. Is this something that I want to that I want to get into it with my loved one right now, or should I wait until after they've got a full stomach and and they're a little more, more amenable? And just because someone has Alzheimer's disease does not make them any less human. When we get grouchy, a lot of times it's because we're bored or we're hungry. And so before you start giving people medication that 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 is designed to calm their anxiety, Try giving them something to eat and something to do first, and maybe you won't need to give them the medication. Uh, good advice or something to drink because dehydration can just throw yeah. them out of, out of whack so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Oh, wonderful advice. Well, I am I'm just so thrilled that we had you on and you were able to join us here today. I can't believe we've talked for an hour just about already. Ben, if you wouldn't mind just, um, again, repeating how people would get a hold of you, um, because I'm sure there will be some uh, listeners that, that are just going to be fascinated with, with everything that you had to say today. Um, you're just loaded with just wonderful, wonderful insights. Uh, so thank you so much. But it, well, they can call us at 800 935 9898 or they can visit our website and see what we're all about. We have a little virtual tour there and people can see what the inside of our homes look like and that's at potomacgrouphomes.com or you can go to my website at uh, planetbenja.com And then you also have a YouTube channel too, don't you? Yeah, we have a blog that actually Mm -hmm. has um, 
that has all of our uh, well actually that's a really good place for people to go because I write an article every week uh, on the blog and there's lots of posts there and uh, you can go to um, you don't put the www you just type blog.potomacgrouphomes.com wonderful well again I thank you so much for joining us today I'm just uh, just thrilled to get to know you and see the wonderful work you're doing so thank you again so much, and you have a wonderful day, okay? Okay, thank you okay. so much. Um, for, okay. our list, for our listeners, if you just want to stay with us, I want to remind you we do have a second guest. And before I have Shirley on, I just want to, again, let you know that the chat box is up and running, so if anybody has any questions, you can go ahead and comment on that. Otherwise, people can call in directly to 714 364 Four seven five seven, and at that time you can push one and get into the queue, so that I know that you are there, and um, we will take any calls that you might have. So Shirley, are you with us? I am. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. So uh, let me introduce you here. Um, I am very excited to have Shirley, um, and you have to correct me if I say your name wrong here. Is it, well, why don't you pronounce it for me first, and then I won't massacre it. <laughs> it's Gutkowski. It's very, very simple, actually. <laughs> it is, but I always am worried I'm going to trip. Gutkowski. Okay. And the reason I'm so excited to have her here is she is going to be talking about oral hygiene. And for myself, with my mother um, in particular, and this is a very common issue for people, um, you know, she has just broken and chipped teeth and they really have gotten quite dilapidated. And if I would have known about Shirley and all she has to offer in her insights, um, things probably would not have gotten to that state. So Shirley is a clinical dental hygienist. She's a speaker and an author and an expert in preventing oral disease. After graduating from Marquette University in 1999, she began her writing career with an article in Nursing Case Management. And this evolved into feature articles and monthly columns in dental and um, dental hygiene trade magazines. She has won the um, prestigious Apex Award for Writing Excellence, so congratulations to you on that one. And she is the co-author of a series of books for clinical dental hygienists called The Purple Guide. She has contributed chapters in textbooks, including Essentials of Dental Hygiene and Comprehensive Preventive Dentistry. Uh, Shirley has spoken to groups around the world, from Australia and Europe and Canada, and she has just this sensible approach to prevention and treatment. She also received in 2008 the Alumni of the Year Award from Marquette University School of Health Science in Dental Hygiene, and she is the recipient of the Leadership Award for the World Congress of Minimal Invasive Dentistry in 2006. 2000, and in 2006-2007 was the president of the Wisconsin Dental Hygienist Association. She is also the co-founder um, of Adopt a Nursing Home, an initiative to increase oral health in dependent um, adults. So please um, welcome Shirley to the show with me. I, I'm Like I said, I'm just so thrilled to have you here because this is just something I don't think is talked about much. 
So, Shirley, was there anything that I missed in, in your kind of opening bio info that you'd like to share with our listeners? Well, I think you hit pretty many of the highlights of my professional career. I'd also like to point out that I'm a mother of five and grandma for two, so <laughs> those Wonderful. are all important pieces. <laughs> Wonderful. Now, you do have some credentials after your name, and I have no idea what they stand for, so I'm going to have you explain what RDH um, BSDH and FACE stand for? Well, registered dental hygienist is the common um, little acknowledgement that you get after you take your classes at usually a technical college and you pass a, pass a national board exam and you become a registered dental hygienist. In Indiana, they have a different designation called um, licensed dental hygienist. Either way, in a dental office, it's the dentist who has a license and the dental hygienist who has a license, and uh, that's the RDH designation. I also then continued on with my schooling to get my undergraduate degree, which is the Bachelor of Science in Dental Hygiene, which is the BSDH. Okay. And then I also have a fellowship from the Academy of Comprehensive Aesthetics. Okay. And that's what FACE stands for. Wonderful. Well, I I was guessing at it, but I thought oh, it's just easier to ask. <laughs> get to, get well, that it's, over. It's, I'm glad you did ask because not many people understand what a dental hygienist is. We're often confused with a dental assistant, which isn't awful. It's just you know it's not we're not what we are, and we're also confused very often with a dental technician, who is usually the person who makes the dentures, who makes the crowns who makes other appliances that you would wear in your mouth, and dental hygienists don't really know how to do that. <laughs> okay, okay. Now, can you tell us if you have ever had any connection to anyone, um, family or friend with Alzheimer's or dementia, or maybe even clients? Yes, it's, it's mainly with clients um, that I've had in my clinical dental hygiene career. It always struck me as, sad and I don't know kind of over the top um, when people come to the office with dementia we have a lot of opportunities to impact their oral health beyond just brushing and flossing and that's usually what we end up doing we start talking to the wife if it's the husband who's involved um, and saying oh you got to make sure he's brushing his teeth you got to make sure he's brushing his teeth and it just seemed to me such an uphill battle. And people with dementia have certain needs and they have certain hurdles that are not easy to overcome, which you know better than I do, probably. And uh, by just keep telling caregivers to brush and floss and brush and floss, it just wasn't fair. It wasn't fair to the person with dementia. It wasn't fair to the caregiver. It wasn't fair even to the dental hygienist who was, who was giving her best um, opinion and not seeing any progress. So I yeah. decided I was going to look, look around for other opportunities and other ways of managing oral health without relying so heavily on the brush and floss. Those two are never going to go away, but it's not only brushing and flossing that's helpful. Well, and I know like with my mom, it was just such a difficult thing to do as the disease progressed. She didn't know 
what this foreign object was being jabbed into her mouth let alone mm-hmm. trying to maneuver floss. I mean, that just wasn't going to happen, you know, with her as Right. As but all the books say you have to brush and you have to floss. So you as a caregiver, you are going up this incredibly steep hill and you're not you're not providing the best possible care for your mother or your father or your grandma, and then you start feeling guilty about it. And that's not where you're going to find the best opportunity to make any other changes. You need to have different information, not just a finger-wagging from your clinician. Well, and I think that's wonderful because, you know, for me, you know, what I ran into was a, a couple of different things. Mom had the fear and she would fight and get angry and rightfully so because no matter how hard we tried, we couldn't explain what we were doing or why we were doing it. And so, I, you know, I took on the philosophy of this is really about her and making sure that she's comfortable and happy and that I have to learn to look for different things in terms of what makes her a whole person. And because I didn't know of any other options. The other um, thing was the the dentist that is coming to the nursing home had met with me, and they wanted to go pull all of my mom's teeth. And, I mean, we got into this huge discussion. I bet we talked for a good hour on pulling her teeth. And I said no. And they said, well, you have to. They're going to be infected. I'm like, they already are infected. They're rotted. They're chipped. They're broken. You know, I tell people that they look like a rusted chainsaw with fried rice hanging off them half the time. But what they didn't realize that my mom had a... um, a a really huge fear about the dentist because when she was young, one of her best friends died in the dentist chair, which is very rare, but it happened. And so mom was always really adamant about keeping her teeth and she had beautiful pearly whites. And, you know, if her ego was intact and she knew what her teeth looked like now, she'd probably be really upset, but you, you have to get this balance. But this dentist wanted to go in and take all her teeth out and then, make some dentures, which would end up in a drawer because she wouldn't know what those are. Plus, the dentist did not realize, they just made this assumption that my mom wouldn't know the difference. You know, we'll just knock her out, we'll pull her teeth, and it's no big deal. And I said, what you don't understand is she still feels all those textures in her mouth, and she's going to know her teeth are gone. Because she, you're exactly right, and we do. I, I will. I'm speaking for the whole, <laughs> the whole profession right now. We have limitations when it comes to things like this. Even if the dentist is one of the kind of dentists who wants to, um, uh, wants to just even donate their time to a long-term care facility or uh, another kind of a, a facility, a assisted living, let's say. They they still have some limitations. I'm never going to forget the one conversation I had when I was still going to school with a dentist, and I asked, uh, this was a dentist who travels to care facilities using a, uh, an RV, and he would have the residents then go you know into the parking lot and treat them in the RV and then send them back, and I asked him how he uses fluoride in with these residents. Uh, it, you know, it was just a kind of an interview kind of a question, and I was shocked when he said to me, oh, oh, really? They're using fluoride for, for adults now? So it really it really irritated me. <laughs> but it also really illuminated the fact that we have a 
a different demographic that we've never been exposed to before, and that is elderly people with teeth. And then not only do we have elderly people with teeth, we have elderly people with issues like dementia and Alzheimer's and uh, a variety of other limitations that we're just learning to deal with on by ourselves. Yeah, and it, and it's very very important. And it was it was funny because in dealing with the the dentist, it was so black and white to them that this is this is what needs to be done, and they weren't looking at kind of the whole person care type philosophy right. of of what's going to keep her comfortable because that was just standard practice. This is what you do. And I said, How long ago was that? Um, this was probably three years ago. So not all that long ago, and I was I was really upset with the dentist, and and you know she said, well you have to understand that an infection could kill her, and I said I I do understand that, and I take it very seriously, but she's had memory loss for 30 years, and most people don't die from Alzheimer's disease. Something else is going to take them out, but it's about quality of life, and I know my mother better than you do. You know, this isn't about trying to be cheap. This is about right. trying to keep her comfortable because, um, for example, my mom used to love um, a, what was it called? Um, oh, God dang it, a peanut buster parfait at the Dairy Queen. And oh, she, loved, wow. she loved the chocolate and she loved the nuts and all that stuff. And then one day, all of a sudden, she didn't know what the nuts were. And so then we went to a blizzard because it had smaller chunks. Well, then it got to the point where all of a sudden she's rolling her tongue over those little teeny chunks going, what the heck is that? <laughs> and she didn't wow. think that it was ice cream. So then we went to McDonald's to a hot fudge sundae there, and she actually she started out with the nuts. Um, we tried them as optional, and she liked those for a while, and then we got to the whole point where she didn't know what the nuts were. So now she just eats a hot fudge sundae. But she could tell the texture difference. And again, if we as caregivers, I mean, we have to look for those things. It wasn't that she didn't enjoy the ice cream anymore. She just didn't like a certain portion of it anymore. You know, or she can tell if something, she used to love pecan pie, but now she couldn't eat it warmed up because that, for whatever reason it bothered her, you know. And so it's very important that we understand that they're still taking all this information in. They might not be able to communicate to us as clearly as they have before, so we have to interpret what's going to be best. And, and the last thing I wanted was for her to go through all of that and then to get the dentures made because, I mean, that's not fun, the molds and all of that kind of stuff. And oh, that. And then to end up having them in a drawer because she doesn't know how to wear them because they're not hers. Right. You know, she would never exactly. understand There's the concept. There. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I I understand fully, and we in dentistry, like I said, are still learning all of these nuances and taking them into into perspective when we're when we're dealing with a treatment plan for people who are in a dependence kind of a situation. Just because they're dependent doesn't mean they don't have an opinion, that they don't have to learn things. They don't they still have to understand. And all of those things really I you know, I really feel for the dentist too, because it is a really good option. But yep. when you think of the whole picture here, you have to consider all of these other moving parts. And uh, you were right to hold your ground, I think. 
But you can't just hold your ground and just call it good enough because there is still this, inf- you're right, her teeth are infected. If her teeth are broken, if her if there is um, stuff stuck onto her teeth, that's all infection. Oh, and yeah. She's, she's losing ground on account of that infection. Um, so that something still needs to be done and something can be done. It just doesn't have to be this, this knee-jerk kind of a of a treatment plan of dentures or of brushing and flossing, and uh, that's that's kind of where where I'm sitting right now. I've spent the last ten years educating dentistry on <laughs> other options besides brushing and flossing, and I've aligned myself with groups of dentists who really do take that um, that stand that you don't have to always just do the knee-jerk thing. Yes, dentures could be minimally invasive, a minimally invasive treatment, but is it? <laughs> and, yeah. and really think through what needs to be done or what can be done that isn't going to be so invasive, even if it is the the last resort kind of thing. Yeah, and and minimally invasive, it, it takes on a whole different impact when someone can't comprehend what's going right. on, you know, versus when somebody understands and is accepting and you know, can follow directions and things. So tell us what you've come up with because I, I'm dying. I, I'm just dying to hear about this. I just think this is well, so needed. Let's just think about this in a global way for just a second. And what is it exactly that we're doing with brushing and flossing? Yes, we're removing bits and parts of food. That's true. But the main thing that we're doing with brushing and flossing is we're trying to remove the biofilm. And even in a dental hygienist who brushes a couple of times a day and knows exactly what they're doing, even then it's almost impossible to totally remove all of the biofilm on the teeth. So really what we're doing is we're managing the biofilm. And now that opens up a whole nother door, a whole nother way of approaching this issue. What we can do is manage this biofilm using, are you sitting down? Yeah. Sugar. A specific <laughs> kind of, I know. Well, I <laughs> wasn't expecting that one, that's for sure. No, you weren't. That's why I wanted to make sure you were sitting down. It's a special kind of sugar that comes from plants. It's manufactured very much like regular traditional sucrose sugar. But this sugar is called xylitol. It starts with an X, and I'm going to spell it for you, X-Y-L-I-T-O-L. So xylitol is uh, a sugar that's manufactured originally from birch bark because this sugar was um, kind of studied, and it is still studied mainly in Finland. And they have a lot of birch trees up there, but what we're doing now with um We can use any plant material, any pulpy kind of a plant. You can get sugar from beets, you can get sugar from sugar cane, and you can get xylitol from birch bark, and you can get xylitol from any other pulpy kind of a plant. So now we have a sugar, and what this sugar does is a couple of different things. The most important is that it does not allow a biofilm to grow. So let me just take you through a little side issue here with respect to biofilm because I think this is going to come in handy later for other topics as well. A biofilm is a group of bacteria that live together. So 
what we used to think is we had a colony of bacteria. So that would mean all dental hygienists would be in a colony. And what we really have is a biofilm where it's not all dental hygienists, it would be all people. So in this biofilm, we have cavity-causing bacteria, we have um, respiratory illness bacteria, we have E. coli, we have um, pneumonia, we have sinusitis bacteria, we have over 500 different kinds of bacteria that live in the mouth, and they all live together in a single biofilm. And in that biofilm, they have kind of a little community. And in that community, they live together like a co-op. Remember the co-ops of the 60s? Mm-hmm. Or the communes, rather, where this this group would be really interested in gardening, and then these, these couple of people were real interested in making fabric, and these, you know. So that's how these bacteria live together. And that all starts by a, a safe bacteria getting onto the tooth and starting to create a sticky component called a polysaccharide. And then that stickiness makes all helps all those bacteria stay onto the teeth. And if we use xylitol, that stickiness is never produced. So this biofilm can never happen. Wow. Was that too too technical? <laughs> no, I mean it it's just like use the sugar and it, you know you won't rot. <laughs> I know. It's really (laughs) counterintuitive, and it's been taking dentistry a long time to get on the board with this, too. There's still dentists around there like, sugar, really? I don't think so. But that's really the the genesis of how this thing starts. Xylitol recently has been in our literature, and it's not even ours, it's in wound care literature where they're closing chronic wounds of 20 and 30 years duration by using xylitol as part of a little poultice that they put onto these wounds. Wow. So some things like bed sores and stuff like that. Wow. That's, I know. It's it's crazy. So you use the xylitol in the oral cavity. Now, now you know your mother, and you know your mother very well. Does she like candy? Oh, yeah. She has a sweet tooth. <laughs> So this will not right. be a problem. And if it tastes like chocolate, man, we're it will I'll have to buy tons of it. <laughs> well that's what I always say. Nobody doesn't like candy. Mm-hmm. So so by incorporating up uh five or more servings throughout the day, you don't want to give all of it in one little clump in the morning, let's say, or at any time of the day. It needs to be spread out through the day. And so now you have much less of this biofilm available, I know that you've when you've looked at your mother's teeth, you've seen like muck on her teeth. Yep, yep. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to be dainty here with my language, but uh, and that is an accumulation of this biofilm along with food. Mm-hmm. So once we start incorporating xylitol into the diet, in a number of different ways, you can put it sprinkling sugar like on the cereal in the morning, or um, some people are still real happy chewing a piece of gum a couple of times a day. We have mints. We have toothpaste with xylitol in, mouthwashes. We have a bunch of different ways of incorporating the xylitol into the mouth a few times a day. So we want to do it at least five times a day. And then that sh- the, the sticky coating that's being maintained and built on 
is no longer going to be maintained. Not only that, the xylitol is also pretty specific for the group of bacteria called Streptococcus. And you'll notice that name in strep throat, Streptococcus pneumonia, and um, the Streptococcus is the germ that causes most of the beginning of your cavities in your teeth. That bacteria prefers xylitol. It'll allow other sugars to bypass in an effort to attain the xylitol, but they can't metabolize it, so they eventually even starve. So you have even fewer of that kind of bacteria. Wow. So it's I just want to clarify, crazy. it starves the bacteria, not the patient. <laughs> right. <laughs> just in well, case someone you know, wasn't really closely. It's a good question because a lot of people are afraid of all of these substitutes, these sugar substitutes, and la, 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 the sugar substitutes. First of all, it's not really a sugar substitute. It does come from plants just like regular sugar. It's not made in a lab. And the human body produces up to 15 grams of xylitol a day in the liver. So it's perfectly natural, and it's a perfect part of the human body in the first place. Wow. This is, this is just incredible, and I'm thinking how easy this would be to institute. Um, what what does something like this cost in terms of treatment? I mean, I just think of, you know, looking at my mom just going in, you know, to the dentist. I mean, we kind of stopped doing that because she just didn't go out anymore. Then they had the dentist come to her, but she just didn't understand the process, and it was just so much fear for her um, in terms of a clinic visit versus, you know, instituting a program like this for someone who's maybe as far along as as my mom. Well, you can do it for approximately a dollar or so a day. Wow. And I don't know if that sounds expensive to you or not, but when you think about what you're doing and how you're reducing the chances even of uh, respiratory disease and, and all of that that goes along with it, uh, I think it's, I think it's inexpensive. Oh, inexpensive and not a, not intrusive at all. Um, and really, it, brushing teeth can be one of the biggest battles that there are in the nursing home and you know in in communities, or even when someone's got somebody at home. Once they don't understand why that needs to be done anymore, it just like I said, you know, for my mom, it's just like a foreign object being poked into her mouth. What's the point? Why are you doing this to Well, me? yeah, you know, and from from my perspective, there is a point because we have to manage this biofilm. But mm -hmm. we, it, it, it would be nice if it could be attempted at least once a day, and mm -hmm. if it would be very nice if it could be accomplished once or twice a week. Mm -hmm. I know you've never heard a dental person say that before. <laughs> but in the meantime, in the meantime, if you started using some of these other adjuncts to mate to manage the biofilm instead of just thinking about brushing and flossing, oh, we couldn't do it today, so sorry, big deal, because you are having a higher risk of of tooth infections and respiratory diseases. Yeah. So it, you know, the more we can do to reduce that biofilm, the better. And if you really you try every day and you only get it in once a week, okay. But if you're using the xylitol in between, you're making an impact far and away better than what you were doing before. And, you know, you were talking just a second ago about <clears throat> applying this 
to the to the resident or to mm-hmm. your you know care receiver uh the lady that the hygienist that I put the adopted nursing home together with her name is Angie Stone and uh she and I got together with a care facility here in Rock County in Wisconsin and we started a little study we got a couple of patients or residents together we asked the CNAs the nursing assistants to provide these people with xylitol products and the study was going to last for 3 months we didn't have enough of the xylitol products for them to do it five times a day. It was just, I think, two times a day, two or three. And we had a, almost an 80% compliance rate with the nursing assistant. In dentistry, where there is no study with respect to oral care and nursing assistants that comes anywhere near that. Over three months' time, we had 80% compliance rate with the CNA. That means she was actually giving the resident the mint or the gum, depending on what the resident was looking for. Wow. Well, and I I just think, too, with my my mom is, you know, she grinds her teeth um, just horribly. And I'm thinking that's going to take them out alone. But, you know, and we give her gum, but, you know, we're still a little fearful. Is she going to choke on it or or not? And stuff, so that has to be really, you know, supervised. But you know, she always yeah. liked to chew gum, and I think that that's something that she probably could handle, and would have been nice to be able to institute again early, early on. You know, with not too late now. Excuse me. It's really not too late now. Okay. Even even starting it now is okay. It's not going to like. It's not going to build her teeth back up, but we, like I said, the the main goal is here to manage that biofilm. And by starting a xylitol regimen right now, you will be able to start to manage that biofilm. The residents that we were using in our little study had so much stuff on their teeth we couldn't measure it using traditional methods. We had to stain it and take before and after pictures. And everyone who looks at those before and after pictures is absolutely astounded. We never clean these people's teeth. We never ask the CNAs to do anything more than what they had already been doing except to please give them candy. Uh-huh. Wow. And it was unbelievable difference. Well, that's, that's fantastic. That is extremely, extremely interesting. How do people, you know, get this product? I mean, do, do they get it through the dentist? Do they get it through you? Um, is there... There's a, there's a number of ways. I'm going to direct you first to a website called xylitol.org. It doesn't have a lot of products, but it does have a lot of um, comparison between different different kinds of products and which one has xylitol in and which one only has a sprinkling of xylitol. They, uh, there's a company that has xylitol candies and uh, not, not candies, sorry, like uh, caramel. You were talking about some of these higher-end, like chocolates and stuff like that. Xylitol is a little bit tricky to use that way, and there are a couple of companies that do have it there. So you can get a lot of information about Xylitol itself and some comparison of different products there as well. The next thing I'd like you to do is go to another website, which is the company that I work with almost exclusively. Um, They're very supportive of the dental movement towards xylitol, and they've been we've been friends for a really long time. And that is Spry, S P R Y. 
So it's www.spry.com. Okay. And they have a variety of products. They have they don't have a lot of the high-end candies or anything like that, but you can get the sprinkling sugar from there. You can get a 30-day kit from there that includes the toothpaste, the um the mints, the gum, the toothpaste, the mouthwash, and a nasal spray. We can okay. talk about the nasal spray in a couple minutes. <laughs> can you can you give me that website again? Because I think I, I wrote it up. Because I got a hosting company. <laughs> I just oh, all right. Well, they have um, spry.com. The spry.com. It's a hosting company right. that's showing up. Oh, oh, that's what you meant by a hosting company. Yeah, right. yeah. So for whatever reason, that one doesn't seem to be be doing. Maybe they changed it and didn't tell me. Yeah, let's try this. The name of the product is Spry. Okay. Well, maybe I'll try to Google it and see. You just never know. And it's, it's there it is. Sorry. The uh, the website that they changed it to, they don't tell me everything, <laughs> is the name of their nasal spray, which is X-L-E-A-R. So you can see why I have a hard time remembering it. Clear.com, X-L-E-A-R. Okay. Wonderful. Well, good. That's, that's good to know there. So, okay, yeah, right. that makes all kinds of different stuff coming up then. A little bit easier if you get the right one. Well, it's always good just to double check, you know. And Lord knows I've been wrong a zillion times, and it could have been me. But I I just always like to check if I can while we're while we're on air. There's there's one place um, that you can get a lot of different xylitol products. Um, So that's that that's the company I work with the most. There are other companies that have xylitol products. The easiest thing to do if you don't like buying things on the Internet is to go to your health food store, and they have a, a variety of xylitol products also. Oh, really? I'm, I'm Well, of course, I don't go to the health food store probably as yep. often as I should. So I probably would have known that it's, already. It's been a trick to, to get uh, our, our dental uh, patients to go to health food stores, too. So it's uh, <clears throat> it's still a little bit of a trick to get people to find it pretty easy. Now, what's been happening, though, in the industry, other gum manufacturers are seeing the science, and they're saying, oh, I'm going to put xylitol in my chewing gum. And then they go, xylitol, and they sprinkle a little over the top, and you really need to have a lot more of it. You need to have about 10 grams a day. But nobody knows what a gram is, so we're going with this 5 servings a day or strive for five and that comes to about uh that comes to uh depending on what you're using it'll come to six to ten grams a day okay because i'm looking at these little candies and for a little packet of them it's like a buck and a half you know or if you get a it looks like a dozen well more than a dozen of them it's under thirty dollars but i have no idea how many of those little candies you have to take Mm-hmm. Well, what I did is I created a little oral health kit <clears throat> by popular demand. Surely you have to put something together because I also found a really 
Primo toothbrush that you might like even better. So I put together in our, my little kit that you can get from my website, rdhpurpleguide.com. And that one works just fine. I've been on there. Yay. Got it pulled up <laughs> right in front of me right now. <laughs> and then on the services uh, tab right there, you'll see that there is a little oral hygiene kit. And if you go through and there's a little place for a coupon, if you type in radio, then you will get it for $19 instead of the $25. But I have a little container of the Spry Lemon Burst Mints. There's 240 in this little container. I have a 100-count um, little tub of the gum. I have a specialty toothbrush for... Uh, caregivers or people that have problems using their hands. It's got a really unique kind of a handle. And a Sunstar Butler donated to me a bunch of toothbrushes to use for this. It's their Summit toothbrush, which is probably the best toothbrush I've ever used. Um, it has some really advanced bristles. And I also have included in that kit, it's a Spry tooth gel. And it says it's for kids on there, but... Um, I'm waiting for just another container that's going to have the exact same stuff in there. What happens when you use toothpaste with people with um, cognitive disabilities is you or people with super dry mouths is you have a problem. They don't like toothpaste. They don't like that intense flavor of the toothpaste, and then it, you know, they spit it at you or they refuse to let you brush their teeth with it. So this is a much milder flavor, and uh, I think it's a banana flavor. So it's not so highly minty, which can really tingle up the uh, tissue. Well, that's interesting. I mean, that's something I never even heard of or thought of or whatever, which in, in and of itself could be an issue with people. <laughs> exactly. There's a lot their... of different hurdles. There's a lot of different hurdles. And actually with the with the Sprite company, I went back and forth with them for three years. You have to, you have to, you have to. And they finally are just slowly getting getting with the program here of having the, using the gel and just putting it into a different container so it doesn't look so babyish um, because it's much better for people that have issues in their mouth. Um, you know, it's not just the Alzheimer's and not just the dry mouth. We also have a big tsunami of children coming with, um, uh, oh, gosh, now it flew right out of my head. Um, oh, well, you're on the right show. <laughs> <laughs> Asperger's and uh, that whole, oh, my gosh, it starts with an A, too. Autism. autism. Oh. <laughs> the, the whole autism spectrum. Um, people that have that spectrum have a big problem with things going into their mouth. It's really big. And uh, so it's important for them to find something that's going to be helpful for them. And using a sugar-based <laughs> tooth gel is a really benefit for that group as well. 
Oh, well, that that's very, very interesting. Now, with this kit, and, you know, they can thank you so much for giving a discount if they type in the word radio on that. That's just a wonderful deal. How long would a kit like that last? Is that like a month's supply or two yeah, weeks? Yeah, that should last you about a month. But, of course, the toothbrushes will last you longer than that. You'd have to replace the um, the candies. You can do that on your own. Okay. Right. But at least I give you a little push to get started. Very interesting. I'm definitely going to try that um, and have the nursing home try that with mom and and see what the difference is. Because that's, you know, as a daughter, that's one of the things that's been difficult for me, knowing that, you know, in the decision that that we're making as a family, that it could take her out, you know, that her teeth will probably kill her. I mean, we've had those discussions. And, you know, but yet, we're, we still feel very strongly that we've made the right decision with that. We understand that, and um, and again, it gets back to you know quality of life on a daily basis, you know, for her. But it's it's always in the back of my head. You know, every time I go see her, it's like, how are they doing? I mean, her teeth have been so bad so long. I'm shocked she's still alive. I mean, literally, because she's had. She's, her teeth have been chipped and broken for, I bet, three years. I mean, in, in severely. You know, she yeah. just kind of has n- they, nubs. They, they used to be so nice, you said. Oh, it's, yeah. It's really bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. You know, and it does change her appearance. And if, if all of that could help, and if we would have known of this earlier, or even, you know, because you just never know what's going to happen with a person with dementia. Um, you know, how are they going to be? It just would have been a nice supplement to have if there's no dangers of using it um, anyways. You know, for somebody, it would just be nice to know. Now, with this, so this is a natural product. It's not anything that needs a prescription then? No. Nope. Okay. just needs a tiny bit of effort because it's not right there at the, you know, the checkout when you leave the store. Um, you need to either buy it online or you'll find it at a health food store. And at the, the clear, X-L-E-A-R dot uh, com site, they have a little um, a little uh, calculator here where to find it near you. Okay. Well, wonderful. I will definitely spread the word on this because I, I just think this is so important. And, you know, one of the toughest things that people have with uh, with this disease or caregivers have is, you know, when they look at somebody feeling that they've lost them and, and when somebody loses their teeth, you know, it affects their, from a caregiver standpoint, it affects how you perceive them greatly in terms right. of their appearance and who they are. And we, we make all of these um, assumptions based on looks and appeal. So if if that can help and still provide quality of, of life, I, I just think for the price you, you can't you can't beat it and it's something that really, really needs to get out there. Um, and will help staff too. Because you know, they don't yeah. want these battles. And it'll it'll help family members. You know, nobody wants to fight over this stuff. So if we can be preventative and and get this information out. This is wonderful. Now, I also like to talk about the guilt, though, that caregivers have that that they they know they should be doing the brushing and the flossing because that's all they're ever told to do, 
and they can't do it, and that must feel awful for you. That you just this 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 misplaced guilt when when we have xylitol here. We didn't even talk to them about the functional foods. Just swapping out some juices are, are going to be more helpful than a lot of other things that you're doing. Cranberry yeah. juice has been shown, too, to, to decrease the bacteria's ability to create that sticky film. So even six or I think it was four to six ounces a day made a difference on oral wow. bacteria. Well, and and that can help too. I think with bladder infections and stuff too. So that's kind of a double whammy there that right. can help with. But just knowing those things, talking about those things, um, you know, they need to be shared and and understood because it's truly the little things in life that just make the big things, you know, so much more valuable um, in all. Now you had. Um, mentioned I had asked you for a few questions and you had asked uh you had um sent me one about avoiding mercury fillings. Can you can you share a little bit more about that and why that is important to do? Well, it's a super hot topic and there are some very volatile language there is some very volatile language flying around from all different sides. When you ask a dentist how to avoid amalgam filling, they're going to tell you about these white fillings and these plastic fillings and these porcelain fillings and gold and and all of these other things. And when you talk to a hygienist about avoiding amalgam fillings, you're going to get a totally different answer, and that is to avoid the filling in the first place. And that's that's the main gist out of what I intended for that question to be. But if you're asking why to avoid amalgam fillings or mercury fillings is because of the toxicity factor. There's been a lot of um, discussion recently uh, between the ADA, the American Dental Association, and what they perceive of the Federal Drug Administration's report on dental amalgam and how they saw the two things so differently. And uh, really, when it comes right down to it, would I? I do have mercury fillings in my mouth right now. They've been in there probably since I'm 12, and so that's been what 10, 15 years now. <laughs> <Just kidding. laughs> uh, so, and I'm not really hot to get them out of there. Um, but mercury fillings are detrimental to the teeth. The reason that dentists use it is because it's really super easy to use, and in people like your mother, um, you don't need to have a lot of finesse, but there are other products that you can use if there is a filling that needs to be done. And I would encourage you to write this down. It's called a glass ionomer. G-L-A-S-S, like glass, and uh-huh. ionomer. I, I'm going to spell that out right here. I haven't spelled it in a while. I-O-N-O-M-E-R. Okay. And when you refer to the the mercury fillings, and those are the silver fillings in our mouth, right? That okay. Just want to make sure that everybody's yep. on the same page and stuff. So, okay. And why is this glass amon? However you say it, I, I can't even say it. <laughs> so I'm gonna choose glass ionomer. I'm gonna spell it one more time. I O N O M E R. Okay. Glass ionomer. Um, dentists don't like using it very often because it's not aesthetic. 
which means it doesn't it's not very pretty mm-hmm. and it also um it's also kind of soft so you get a lot of wear issues with it however just like xylitol it has magical properties <laughs> um it does have some fluoride in it so it will leak fluoride into the into the area that it's touching the tooth and just right around it. And if it touches the neighboring tooth, that neighbor tooth where it's touching will also be getting some of that fluoride. Not only that, it uh, accepts fluoride from the environment. So when you're using a toothpaste with fluoride in it or if you're using a mouthwash with fluoride in it or if you drink a lot of tea that has fluoride in it, that will get sucked back into that that material and it will be it will allow the fluoride to be released again later. So fluoride isn't off the map at all. It's just we need to step back and say to ourselves, okay, we're really asking way too much from fluoride. Okay. Great. So the, the glass ionomer does not need to have a dry field, which is one of the really big issues when you're talking about people who are uh who have cognizant um cognition issues. They don't understand, they don't know what it is to have a dry tooth and la 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 and there's a, just a bunch of technical things that you don't need to know about that go along with regular fillings, but a glass ionomer needs to have a moist environment, so you don't need to do a lot of prep work to the tooth in order to put that in. And actually in most states in the union dental hygienists are even allowed to place glass ionomers as a temporary filling. Okay, wonderful. Well, I want to, um, again, have you just state how people can get a hold of you and how they can um, get a hold of the xylitol. Um, again, wonderful, wonderful information here. Um, so if you wouldn't mind just stating your websites or if people have questions, is it okay for them to call you and contact you? What would you how would you like them to reach out to you? The easiest and best thing to do is to email me because then I can respond quickly, or if it needs another minute, I can let you know it's going to take another minute. Um, And my email address is crosslinkpresent, C-R-O-S-S-L-I-N-K-P-R-E-S-E-N-T, at AOL.com. Okay, and then your website where people can get that package deal and, and type in radio for the coupon is? And that is www.rdhpurpleguide.com. Okay, and then the xylitol people can also get at the health food stores, you said? Yes, or, ma'am. Or they can go to the clear um dot com which is clear with an X basically. <laughs> right, and there's no C. Mm-hmm. That's a that's a spelling mistake that a lot of people make. Um so the site is X L E A R dot com. Okay, great. Well Shirley you are making a wonderful world of difference um for those with dementia and um uh, and just in general, I mean, there's just so many different settings, even with the autism and the, you know, Asperger and, and you know, people who are disabled, we need to know this information. So I applaud you for the work that you're doing and getting getting the voice out there because this is this is important stuff. You know, this is 
quality of life um, at a real basic need that can help everybody um, on every level. So I thank you so much for, for joining us today. Is there anything you'd like to say in terms of wrapping up at all? Well, I would like to thank you, Lori, for all the hard work that you're doing because this is a big job and you are really helping, you're helping me give voice to, to all of this information and you're, you're helping on so many other levels and I really appreciate what you're doing and I hope that you feel appreciated. Um, in general, that's, that's it. Well, great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm just going to um, do a little bit of housekeeping here at the end before our time is up. I want to tell people about our upcoming shows. On the 21st, we've got Norms McNamara, who will be on the show. At, um, again, it'll be 11 a.m. Central Time, so that's noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific time, and we're going to be talking about dementia awareness. Norms just sent me an email today saying he's hit the 11,000 mark on Facebook with followers for his um, Dementia Awareness Day that he's launching this year. So Norms has uh, has early onset Alzheimer's, and he is truly making a difference. He's a poet. He's done a couple of books, but his insights are fabulous. I'm very, very excited for that show. Then on the 22nd at 3 p.m. Central, um, that's 4 o'clock Eastern and 1 o'clock Pacific time, we'll have Dave Simpson on, and he is Lolo's son. And we had Lolo featured um, here a while back with Clay Johnson, who was the producer of the documentary Lolo. So we'll hear from the son's perspective, how this disease has worked for him and what it's been like. And then on July 29th will be a very interesting program as well. That'll be at 7 p.m. Central. That would be 8 o'clock Eastern and then 5 o'clock Pacific time. We are going to have two caregivers on. One is Sherry Fisher and the other is Tom O'Neill. Sherry I met actually through my blog, and we will share a very interesting story that the two of us worked through. And Tom I have gotten to know through Memory People on Facebook, which is the group that Rick Phelps has started. And so I'm excited to hear what they have. And then August 4th, um, we're going to have Joe Skillion on, and he is the author of Confessions of a Caregiver, When Alzheimer's Comes to Your Home. And so just lots of, uh, lots of good programs, I think, coming up. So I'm hoping that you will be able to join us live. If not, you can always hear these shows because they are archived at a later date. Um, feel free to write me with any questions or comments you have. If you know of someone who you think would be good on this show, please, you know, reach out to me. I, I sure don't know everything, and this is a collaborative effort here. And if you're a person with memory impairment and you're interested in sharing your story with the world, I would really love to talk to you because your voice needs to be heard. Maybe you can be our next guest. So, from coming from um, Alzheimer's Speaks Radio, I wish you a wonderful week, and I hope you can join us soon, and have a blessed day.
It's time to rethink, renew, and reimagine retirement. Hey, everybody. Jared Sebesta here, host of Retire Repurposed. Now, this podcast is about the non-financial parts of retirement, which many times can be even more challenging than the financial. We believe retirement is not the end, rather the beginning of what could be the most impactful, purposeful, and fulfilling season of a person's life. So don't retire. Become repurposed. To listen now, search Retire Repurpose on your favorite podcast platform, Senior Resource, or Life Audio.